So there's this great scene in A Charlie Brown Christmas where Charlie Brown, who's been complaining about how commercial everything has become, he's depressed when he knows he should be feeling happy because it's Christmas. And, um, and, and just in a moment of exasperation, he cries out, isn't there anyone who can tell me what Christmas is all about? And in response, in what is arguably the most two magical moments in all of animation history, Linus steps forth in a spotlight and he reads the story of the first Christmas from Luke chapter two. And he begins in verse eight where it says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now stop there because I, I wanna just pause and I wanna reflect with you this Christmas morning on this choral concept, this choir of angels that birth, burst out in song in the, uh, the Judean countryside, the shepherds that night. I want you just to consider just the, the beauty, the mystery, the wonder of this moment and what it tells us about Christmas and what it means to truly celebrate Christmas. So think with me for a moment about these angels. So it says that there was first an angel, and then there was a multitude of angels. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I've never seen an angel. You know, I've never been touched by an angel. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I think a, a lot of us, you know, we wonder like, what, what, is, what is the Bible talking about with angels? You know, there's this mysterious angelic creatures, you know, is it, is it real? Is there stuff like that? But, but listen, surely it, it, it's the case that there are aspects of ultimate reality that you and I know very little about. And I think this is one of them. You know, there is uh, more in heaven and on earth than are dreamt of in our philosophies. And, uh, and, 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 and so here, this, this, this multitude, these angelic beings burst forth in song. And, you know, the, the, the first Christmas morning, it has been responsible for an output of musical creativity that is unparalleled in the history of the world. You know, with, with musical artists singing about, you know, the, the, the themes of Christmas ranging from Bach to uh, Beethoven, from Handel to Justin Bieber, uh, from the Jackson Five to Nat King Cole. You know, there, there's been artists that have been singing about the wondrous events of Christmas for, for the last 2,000 years, but arguably, I, I would say even without question, the most magnificent song to be sung, the, the most majestic uh, group of musicians to ever perform Christmas music had to have been this choir of angels on the first Christmas night. And, you know, I think about this choral group, you know, have you ever been a part of a choir? And, you know, it takes work. You've got to get together and rehearse and you've got to hit your right notes and you've got to sing on key and you just got to practice and practice and practice. And I, I just, in my imagination, I think about this angelic host 
you know, practicing for millennia, you know, getting ready. This is going to be the most important choral concert given in the history of the world. You know, it is surrounding the most sublime of themes, the very incarnation of God among us, singing about the glory of God made flesh in Jesus. And, and here they are. They are going to finally announce to the world this great news, and they're going to do it in song and in the brilliance of all this angelic light and glory and luminosity. I mean, is that a word, luminosity? There, I think it is, right? And, uh, but, but here they are. And, and just think for a moment, who is this choral concert given to? I mean, I, I just imagine, you know, the, the angels maybe flying uh, to, to deliver this choral concert, maybe in confusion as they fly past the great arenas in Rome. There, there were incredible arenas in Rome. There was a Circus Maximus that could, could seat 150,000 people. And maybe the angels are like, why don't we go there? You know, we got this great choral concert. We've been practicing for a thousand years and let's fill the place, you know, but who do they give the concert to? And then I imagine them flying past the arenas in Rome and then flying past Caesar's palace. We're not going there. And then going into Jerusalem and, and we're not going to Herod's little castle and, and then flying over uh, the well-to-do homes of the Pharisees, the religiously upright in Jerusalem, and then flying past the, the houses of the politically connected and savvy Sadducees and going out and performing this concert to who? You know, it is performed before a group of shepherds. And how many were there? Maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen. And I don't know if you've ever been to a concert in just a really small, intimate venue. And it's kind of been my dream just to see one of my favorite musical artists. You know, I'm, I'm a big U2 fan because I'm a Gen X pastor. And so, of course, I love U2. And I read recently, I was reading an interview with Bono, and he was talking about a little concert that he and The Edge did uh, in a bunker in Ukraine recently for a group of about 200 soldiers. And I just thought, oh man, what would it be like to be in that kind of intimate venue with such brilliant musicians? Well, well here, here is the most intimate of group, maybe a couple dozen shepherds, and they are, they are the recipients of the most breathtaking, the most awe-inspiring, the most, you know, mind-blowing concert in the history of the world. And, 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 and who were these shepherds anyway? You know, it, it's easy for us because maybe you, you, you have kind of like, when you think about a shepherd, what do you think of? You think of a quaint, little sentimental, romantic little, little guy, you know, uh, in a bathrobe pageant. And maybe it was you when you were just a child. It was your big moment to be a shepherd. Or maybe you had uh, a child and, and you're just like, oh, there's such cute little shepherds, you know. But in the first century, shepherds were anything but cute little shepherds. They were on the very bottom rung of the social status ladder. Uh, they were considered perpetually unclean and therefore unfit to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. Uh, they also were, were a little bit suspect characters. And, uh, you know, the Mishnah, which is a, a collection of Jewish laws g giving guidance to how you should conduct your life, it basically said, look, uh, when you do business with a shepherd, beware, because they're going to cheat. Don't even buy milk from them because they're going to cheat you out of it. So, there were suspicious characters at the very bottom rung of the social status ladder. And who is it 
that is the recipient of the most magnificent concert in the history of the world, but these lowly shepherds. And it's, again, it's easy because we are so familiar with these characters in our pageants, in, in our nativity sets, and on our Christmas cards, and just in our, in our imaginations to, to miss kind of like what is happening in this moment. Why on earth is the most magnificent concert in the history of the world given to the lowest class people of the day and such a small, marginal group of them? And I think what's happening is here are the words of Mary's Magnificat are being fulfilled. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And I just think about, you know, if had, had Caesar in Rome or Herod in Jerusalem or the Pharisees or the Sadducees in their religiously upright dwellings, if any of them had known that this angelic choral concert was happening that night, they would have thought, surely we would be invited. I mean, have you ever had that moment where uh, you thought you should have been invited to something and you heard other people talking about it and you realized like, wait a second, I, I wasn't I wasn't invited. Like I, I thought I, I thought they liked me. You know, they didn't invite me, and and no doubt, like like here, if they would have known, they would have thought, well, surely, you know, Caesar viewed himself as being the very embodiment of the divine, and and of course Herod, he was the king of the Jews, and the the Pharisees, well, they had done all the right things, they had kept the laws. If anybody was worthy morally and religiously for this kind of concert, it was surely them, and yet. And yet here are the angels flying way past uh, Caesar's palace, way past uh, Herod's little castle, way beyond the middle-class homes of the Pharisees and blowing all of this concert on the shepherds. And here the proud are being brought low. And those of humble estate, those at the very bottom rung of the social status ladder, those who in many respects are at the bottom rung of the moral ladder, here God is lifting them up on that first Christmas morning. There is something revolutionary. There is something uh, that is, it's going to turn the tables on the status quo and conventional ways of being in this world with the birth of this Messiah, with the birth of Jesus into the world, that this is what Jesus has come to do. He has come to bring the proud down and to take those who are down and out and to raise them up. Now, let's just stand back and let's just reflect on what this might mean for us this Christmas. Now, I think, you know, on the one hand, one of the ways I've thought about this in the past, and I think it's productive and it's helpful to think about this, is one of the ways you can celebrate Christmas is by practicing the values of Christmas. It is by practicing the way of God that is on full display before our very eyes on Christmas. In other words, figure out ways in which you can join God in raising those of lowly estate. You know, there are so many people, I think, in, in our world that we wish we could know. They're the kind of people, if they walked in the room, you would notice. Uh, and who are those people? Well, it's the celebrities. Uh, it's those who are gifted and who are well-connected and who are well-moneyed. 
It, it is those who have special talents. You know, they play uh, an instrument or they, they're superstar athletes like LeBron James or something like that. And you're just like, whoa, look at that greatness, you know, and I want them to notice me. It's who you notice. But there's a whole other catalog of people that for many of us remain invisible. And quite frankly, some of us at times feel invisible because we feel like we're the furthest thing from the kind of person that somebody looks at and notices and wants to talk to when we walk in the room. But one of the ways you can practice Christmas, practice the values of Christmas, is by noticing those who typically go unnoticed. I, I just finished reading a book called Invisible Child. It's an amazing, amazing journalistic account of uh, a New York Times journalist who goes and embeds herself in the life of this homeless family for uh, over a period of about eight or nine years. And it's pretty fascinating because uh, you see what happens in their story over the course of this time. And, uh, and it's, it's full of ups and downs. But the title of the book is Invisible Child because it focuses on the oldest of these eight homeless children. Her name is Dasani. And at one point in, in, in her discussions with the journalist, she just says, I feel like I'm invisible. Like I don't matter. Like I'm the kind of person people just don't see. She's those of humble estate. And on Christmas, God comes and says, I have come to lift up those of humble estate. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. It's not saying that those who are proud or arrogant uh, also are not the recipients of the Christmas message. Uh, of course, Jesus has come to be the savior of the world, of the wealthy and of the poor, of the well-connected and of the invisible. Jesus is the savior of the whole world. But, but, we need to hear the message of Christmas differently depending on where we sit in the social status ladder. You know, I, I think if those, uh, if there are those who are proud and, if, you know, you, you have a high view of yourself, the challenge of Christmas is you need to be brought low. You need to come to know what you don't know. You need to see what you don't see. You need to become humble before God. But the word of Christmas to those who are on the bottom rung is God has come to raise you up and to level the playing field and to say that all humans are created in my image and are the objects of my deepest love and affection. And while you so often look through a lens that puts people in categories based upon their money or their status or their power or their looks or their body type or whatever, he says, look, I don't put people, these are all objects of my love and affections. These are human creatures that I value and love and I lift up. And so to participate or to practice Christmas, on the one hand, can mean to join God in lifting those of humble estate and by noticing the unnoticeables. But I think we need to press this further because I think the message of Christmas is beyond even that. Because notice when the, 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 the angelic choir bursts out in song, they say this. They say this, they say, I have come to bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And what is the good news? Well, notice it is good news. 
He's not giving moral exhortation. He's not saying, now make sure you go out this Christmas and you, you know, share some of your wealth with those who are on the margins, that you make space in your Christmas list for those who are not receiving Christmas gifts. Surely we should all do that. You know, I mean, that, that's not bad stuff to do. But the message of Christmas is not advice, it's news. And what is the news? He says, the news is that unto you is born this day. Unto you, especially you, who are on the margins, who are poor, who are forgotten and invisible. He says, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. In other words, the God we meet in the manger, the God we meet on Christmas is what the great theologian, Howard Thurman called the God of the disinherited. So there's a book that a Martin Luther King Jr. carried with him almost everywhere he went. And it was among the most influential uh, and generative sources in, in, in Dr. King's own theology, his moral vision, his social vision. And, and it came from a theologian whose name was Howard Thurman and this book, God and the Disinherited. And it's a fascinating book because in the introduction, he talks about how he uh, did this. He, he's, a, he's a black theologian. He did a, a trip when he was uh, just in his, in his early college years uh, to India, and they met with people who were fighting against uh, colonial rule uh, in India, you know, kind of inspired by uh, Gandhi and, and all of this. And in, in interacting with the people there who felt like they were forgotten and on the margins and oppressed, they asked him, why he, as a black man, was a Christian. And he responded in an interesting way. He said, he said, look, he said, I'm the grandson of slaves. I am the son of sharecroppers. And I myself have grown up in the Jim Crow South. And what I've come to discover in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that God is the God of the oppressors, but God is the God of the oppressed and those on the margins and those who are forgotten. That he is the God who is the God of those who have their back up against the wall. And he makes this interesting point that I think is, is um, important, I think for, for, for maybe some of us who might be in that upper middle class you know, kind of arena. He says, look, so often we think the message of the gospel is uh, to the rich, to give what they have to the poor and to share. And of course, that's moral exhortation that we all ought to, abide by. But he says the message of the gospel actually is to the poor and it's for the poor. And it's saying that God has entered into solidarity with you. He has become the son of a peasant, unwed mother who is under the thumb of Rome. God enters into deep solidarity with the poor and with the oppressed and with those on the margins. And if we want to meet God, Jesus would later say in Matthew 25, one of the best places you can find him is in the face of those who are hungry and those who are hurting and those who are naked and those who are, who are unclothed. He says, look, he says, those who are imprisoned, he says, you can meet me in the face of those who are suffering in this world. You know, and, and, and he says, on that day, he says, many are going to say, Lord, when? When did, we, when did we clothe you? When did we feed you? When did we give you something to drink? And he would say this, inasmuch as you've done it to these, the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. 
He says, I entered in from the very beginning on Christmas into solidarity with the poor, with those on the margins, with the shepherds, with the unwed mothers. And he says, when you enter in to life with those on the margins, when you share with those, you are sharing with me. You are entering into life with me. And so the message of Christmas is declared in this Magnificat on Mary. He has come to humble the proud and he has come to lift up those who are of humble estate, entering into solidarity with those at the very bottom to say he's in solidarity with all of humans. Coming and announcing to those who are at the very bottom rung of the moral social fabric to say, look, I have come to be savior to you, to say, I have come to be savior to everyone. And this is the good news that we celebrate at Christmas, that God has come in Christ to be the savior of the world. And may that news humble us and may it in those pockets of our life where we feel forgotten or invisible or neglected, may it lift you. May it be the news that you hear this Christmas that God enters into solidarity with you, that he's come for you that unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord.